0: Just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries, and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today, I am so excited to be sitting down with Laura Sheridan as she shares with us her story of living with multiple sclerosis, or MS. In this episode, Laura explains how her MS MS diagnosis came to be, how she navigated traveling around Southeast Asia so soon after that diagnosis, her experience changing to different treatments, and the big one, moving to New Zealand from Ireland and having to manage visas, doctors, insurance, as well as her MS. Laura has been such an incredible friend to me over the last year, and I am so excited to share her story with you all today. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Did I mention that I'm excited? Welcome back to That So Chronic. You are no stranger to this podcast. People might remember hearing your thoughts, experiences, opinions on a recent That So episode where we chatted about Adam Kaye's book, This Is Going to Hurt. But What people might not realise after listening to that episode is that you actually have a chronic illness. You are living with a diagnosis of MS or multiple sclerosis, which is actually how we connected and how we met and how we became friends. So I'm so excited that I get to share, I guess, you with all of the That's So Chronic listeners today around
1: the world. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me back again. I'm stoked to be here. I'm very excited as people might not know we met each other online yes. through uh ms support page mm-hmm. probably a year and a half ago maybe now mm-hmm. where i had done a takeover of an instagram uh, support page and you had messaged me telling me about your new podcast that you were <laughs> that you were creating <laughs> I was bit of like, a shameless plug there <laughs> i was like i'd love to join i'd love to hear what you have to say And then it turned out that you lived in New Zealand and I was moving to New Zealand. And not only
0: just living in New Zealand, but living in the exact same city that you were moving to. Like
1: what are the challenges? And I had just moved here as well. So I was like, oh my God, this is meant to be absolutely meant to be so I'm stoked that this is happening now because we had actually met each other for the first time I think I was here like a month maybe mm-hmm. and we met each other for pizza yes. and you, you had said to me do you want to be on the podcast I was like, yeah and here we are now a year later and Yay.
0: I'm on the podcast for the second time I feel like we need to paint a bit of a picture of what today has looked like for us because it has been a bit of a valentine's day date for Jess and Laura, but talk us through what today has looked like for you, because today is actually a very important and special day, isn't it?
1: Yes. So today is Valentine's Day, first of all, Mm -hmm. and secondly, it's my one year anniversary since I got into New Zealand. Yay! So I have the stamp in my passport to say I got here on the 14th of February, 2021, and I'm here a year now, and what a year it has been, (gasps) as we will discover as this episode goes on. Both in relation to me moving abroad, but also in relation to my MS and mm-hmm. how I've handled all of um, the chaos that comes with having a chronic illness mm-hmm. as you immigrate across the world. Um, but also today, I had my third Tysabri infusion, which people who have MS might know or anyone who's listened to the podcast before. Jess has recently changed from her Tysabri to her Ocrevus. And I'm new on to the Sudbury to try and control my MS. And Jess came with me to my appointment and sat with me through the whole infusion for three hours. Yeah. And now we have this little podcast episode to finish it off. Actually, we got some McFlurries in between as well. We did. And then we're going to go and get some pizza. Get some pizza. Because it wouldn't
0: be a Jess and Laura date if we didn't eat some pizza. (laughs) So I guess we need to start all the way back at the beginning. When did you start to notice any symptoms? Or when did your diagnosis start to eventuate?
1: It was in November 2019, Mm -hmm. so about two and a bit years ago. I was away on a hiking trip with my friends Mm -hmm. and we had been drinking quite heavily the night before. Yep, as you did. I woke up the next morning and I had this awful hangover where I couldn't really see very well. (laughs) and everything was a little bit blurry and then for the next few days everything got slightly more blurry and i was like god this is a really bad hangover this is yeah. really hanging around and then things got worse um my eyesight became double vision mm-hmm. and i was i just knew that something was wrong yeah. so what i did was i went to the Ioneer hospital back home in ireland and they just tested my eyes and they were trying to see what was wrong mm-hmm. and all the doctors couldn't see anything they were like your vision's perfect I, <gasps> I don't know what you mean by you're seeing double like we, we don't see anything here yeah Um. so the doctor sent me for an MRI she mm-hmm. was like let's just outrule anything sinister and if that comes back clear we'll just give you a prescription for glasses and you'll go <laughs> on your way even though there was nothing really
0: that you needed glasses for because I couldn't
1: like, see anything? Wrong. Yeah, my vision was like perfect in the lead up to this. So twenty twenty, everything. So scary time. Yeah. Um. But also, it all resolved itself. So after the two weeks, my eyesight went back to normal. I see. And I got my MRI, and the MRI took weeks to get results. But I was like, oh, I wasn't really that concerned because I was like, oh, my vision's fine now. Yeah. I don't need to worry about it anymore. Mm-hmm. So then, I. I had gone through like a emergency the emergency route to the A and E for the to see the eye doctor. So I wasn't really quite sure what the next step would be. Like who was gonna give me the results for that MRI? Of course, yeah. How was that gonna happen? Like I didn't go through a GP. Yeah. Um so I rang the hospital and I said to them I explained it to them and I was like, Who's gonna give me my results? And they were they said that either one of two things would happen. The doctor in the hospital would read the report. And they, if there was anything in it, they'd send you to a neurology hospital okay. to get the results. And if it came back that there was nothing on the MRI, you'd just come back to the eye hospital and we'd give you your glasses.
0: Okay, so you now know who con- whoever's going to contact yes. you, whether it's it's good or bad. Good or bad.
1: Yeah. So, I got an appointment for the eye hospital. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> and I was like... Plot twist. Stoke. Stoke, yeah. this is amazing. Obviously, nothing's wrong. Yeah. So I go to said appointment at the eye hospital. And it actually, in I was planning on quitting my job that day once I got oh. those results. Because I was going to move across to Australia and go traveling and okay. work as a midwife over in Australia. Yeah. But I just said to myself, I'll just wait for 100% that these results are 100% clear and yep. then I'll quit my job and then I'll go. Mm-hmm. So I went to this appointment on my own because I didn't think that there was anything wrong with me. No, because you're at the eye doctors. Yes. And I got to the hospital, had all my checkups and the doctors again said they couldn't see anything wrong with my eyes. And I was there for like a good hour getting mm. all these tests done. Yeah. And then at the end I was like, okay, so there's nothing wrong with my eyes. And they were like, no, no, your eyes are all good. You're good to go. And I said, okay, that's cool. So... The MRI came back clear as well then, I'm assuming. And she said, oh, you had an MRI? Oh, my God. And I was like, yeah. And she said, oh, let me just go check your notes. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, pulled out my notes and she goes, hmm, (laughs) have you ever heard of multiple sclerosis? Oh, no. (laughs) And I said, no. Uh, Well, I have heard of it because I have an uncle who has it, but I don't know what it is, really. Yeah. And she said, okay, well, how's your uncle? I was like, um, he's not great, he can't really walk, he walks with a cane. And she was like, oh, okay. Um, (laughs) She said, I I, I wish I wasn't the person to tell you this. (laughs) She was like, it looks like you have MS and we need to refer you to an neurologist. Um, So I don't really know much more that I can tell you because I don't specialise in MS, I specialise in eyes. Yeah. And your eyes are fine now, but...
0: Was she able to say that that was optic neuritis that you had experienced? Like, did they piece any of that together?
1: I don't really remember. I remember them using a lot of big words. Like, they used the word demyelination. Yes, yeah. And at the time, I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. And and when I went out to the waiting area, I was, like, Googling demyelination. Like, what is this? I was like, what is this? (laughs) Um, The one thing she did say to me, though, which was kind of reassuring, was that she was like, so do you know anybody else with MS? And I said, no, I only know my uncle. And she's like, that's because people who have MS and who are well don't talk about it. Yeah. Because I don't know, there's some sort of stigma around it and no one wants to make out that they're unwell mm-hmm. um, and don't want people feeling sorry for them or whatever. And the only people who talk about it are the people that have to talk about it because yeah. it's obvious, you can see it. They, yeah. they need a cane, they need a wheelchair. So there is a lot more people out there who have it. So just be reassured by that and they're mm-hmm. living well. Yeah. Um. And that's what I found actually when I went back to work, and I was like telling everyone at work that I have MS. A lot of people had th- those stories where they were like, "Oh, my uncle has MS. My cousin has MS. Yeah. They're fine." Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was reassuring in a way, but also um a little bit scary. Yeah. That.
0: So you go and see the neurologist. Yes. And it's them that officially say, yes, this is 100%, you have multiple sclerosis.
1: Yes. Well, they couldn't officially give me that diagnosis on the day. So it was it was about a week later, I went to the neurologist. And the MRI was quite conclusive that it looked like MS. But yeah. as we know, you need to have two relapses mm-hmm. in order to be officially diagnosed yeah. or have two different scans that have new lesions. Yeah. So... He knew it was MS based Mm -hmm. on the fact that the number of lesions, the location and the shape of them, but couldn't give me an official diagnosis, but was also not wanting to not diagnose me because he had made the mistake in the past where he knew it was MS, but wasn't diagnosing people, wasn't putting them on treatments. And then they were getting sicker and their MS was progressing because he missed the boat
0: yeah right
1: so he like it was amazing that he could actually give me that diagnosis that day and that day I walked out with a prescription for my first treatment okay I was on capaxone injections at first
0: that will be really interesting for people especially living in New Zealand to hear that because you definitely need the two relapses to be able to start on any form of treatment so capaxone is the first treatment that you try what does that entail
1: capaxone is an injection that you have to give to yourself three times a week and mm-hmm. um, it's one of the least side effects drugs that they have for ms at the minute yeah but it's also the least effective right unfortunately so with less effectiveness you get less side effects which is awesome but it also didn't work for me yeah Um so I had one relapse and three new lesions before they realized, okay, let's move on to the next one.
0: And and what like time period was that over?
1: That was over the space of nine months. Okay. So after four months, we found new lesions. And then after another few months, I had a relapse and then they accepted. OK, cool. Let's let's so swap.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that you were waiting for the eye doctor consultation before you quit your job and decide to move to Australia. Where were your travel plans sort of fitting in now after you just were diagnosed with MS?
1: Well, that was... So when I got diagnosed, I was of the mindset that I was absolutely not letting this stop me from <laughs> yes. going travelling. Uh, much to my mum's angst. She yeah. was like, please stay, like you've got this major diagnosis. Yeah. Please just take a while to adjust to it. But I was not having any of that. Yeah. I was um and my doctor actually was very supportive of it as well. Mm-hmm. He he knew that I was hoping to leave and travel and he that's why he kinda of sped up my diagnosis as well. He okay. was like Let's just let's just make this official. Let's yeah. just diagnose you with MS and get you on treatment so that you can go on your travels. Yeah, Because he used this really nice description t- to me to try and encourage me to go. He says, imagine two boxes. This box is where you're going to have your MS and you're going to have all your treatments and your scans and your diagnosis and it's all going to be really shit. But what I want you to do is sort yourself out. Take a few weeks to sort it out. And then take that box and put it up into the attic, and mm-hmm. don't take it down until you have to. Yeah, basically when you relapse. Yeah, um, and then just go off on your travels, fly away, and worry about it when you have to worry about it. And that's what I did. I got all my medication together, got everything going, and I and I left. And it was awesome. Where did you go first? I had plans to go across all of Southeast Asia for four months, mm-hmm. and I went to Singapore for a few days yeah then malaysia for a month which mm-hmm. is amazing and then on to Lao, and then covid hit Of so course, everything exploded and i had to come home and my travels were quite short but saying that i was so delighted that it was covid that was sending me yeah. home and yeah. not a relapse yeah and emma said nothing got to do with it
0: so you're injecting yourself three times a week and you're traveling southeast asia how does that work
1: with great difficulty
0: <laughs> With a lot of planning A lot of planning And
1: experiments Yeah. So the injections that I was on Were injections that needed to be refrigerated at all times mm-hmm. And I was travelling through Like some of the hottest countries in the world Yeah. So this was where my problem lay <laughs> so But this is not going to stop you <laughs> no. I just kept coming across loads and loads of roadblocks along the way mm-hmm. But each time there was a new roadblock I just got a new solution for it. Yeah. So I talked to one or two people that had done the same thing. They had traveled with MS and traveled with injections and got loads of advice from them and ended up finding this massive cooler box that's about 40 centimeters long and 30 centimeters high and weighed about four kilos. (laughs) And this was what I had to travel around with for the few months that I was gone for and the injections needed to be kept at a certain temperature between 2 and 8 degrees. Okay. So what I did was I experimented in the hot press of the house that I was living <laughs> in at the time. Where I would like, well I couldn't use the injections as the actual, yeah. in the experiment. I had to like use my, used needles and just use water. Yeah. And yeah. put the water Injectable water into the ice box and test how long the ice blocks were going to last to keep injections cold enough for yeah. long enough. Yeah. Because I was going to be on like these big long twelve-hour bus rides through Southeast Asia that I needed to keep them cold for long enough. Yeah. But then the problem lay that I also needed to keep them cold, but not too cold. So all the ice blocks that were in the box were actually freezing the water. Oh no. When it got when it was yeah sitting there for uh, that length of time. So I had to just find a happy medium of a certain number of ice blocks in a certain position within the box and then I had to wrap all the injections in cotton wool. Yeah, It was crazy. It was wow. a very stressful few weeks. But I figured it out. I figured out that four ice blocks is enough to keep 50 injections cold for at least 10 hours. <laughs> wow.
0: And you're traveling with this on the plane. Were there, were there any issues like actually entering countries with the, this much medication?
1: Yes, so in some countries they have customs. Obviously, Mm -hmm. a lot of countries have customs, but uh, for the likes of like Singapore, they were very specific and very strict on it. So I had to apply in advance in order to enter Singapore with more than one month's worth of medication. I had four months. Okay, yeah. Um, and I had to get special approval from their customs side of things, Mm -hmm. which didn't take that long to get, but. I was going through like 10 different countries on my travels. So yeah. I had to do it for all the countries. Wow. Um, and research ahead, which was the real annoying, painful thing about it. Because mm-hmm. when you're traveling, you're, you want spontane- spontaneity yeah. and just to just go off a whim. And you meet some, like I was solo traveling. So sometimes you just want to go off with some people that you've just met. If, yeah. if your plans change, oh, I'll go to Vietnam tomorrow instead of uh, Laos. But you can't do that because yeah. your paperwork only lets you enter on certain dates with all these drugs so that was a pain in the butt but yeah you make it work
0: were there any near misses along the journey of the cooler box perhaps not being as cold as it should be
1: yes it was actually it was in one hostel in malaysia where i had put all my injections so once i got to the hostels Mm -hmm. they had the injections had to go into the fridge and the ice blocks had to go into the freezer yes so I had to always do research in advance to make sure each hostel had a fridge and, and a had freezer. a freezer
0: yeah wow of course
1: so then I put my little I had a little cooler bag that sat in my big box mm-hmm. and I put them into the fridge all locked up I had a little keypad on them yeah, like if anyone in yeah hostel imagine if they seen, steal them yeah someone could steal them or see them and think oh what's this yeah let's give these a go oh my
0: god <laughs> well I wonder what would happen if someone just like injected themselves with capexone.
1: They, like, get, they get when, a rash and yeah, heart they, palpitation. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they get.
0: They would not get a high, that's for
1: sure. <laughs> uh, but I had left them in a fridge in one of the hostels, gone to bed that night and got up the next morning and they were cleaning out the fridge and defrosting the freezer oh. because it was their routine thing to do like once a month and like my injections had been sitting out in the freaking warmth for I don't know how long. Um, oh my God. So I panicked massively because yeah. once they leave the fridge it's not that they're destroyed but they become yeah. cold enough that proteins start to change in them oh so i i was really panicking i didn't know yeah. what to do and i messaged a friend and i said oh look they've been out of the fridge i don't know how long they've been out of the fridge for i don't know what to do should i come home and she was she was uh, she just said to me i think you should just pretend that you didn't see it happen and yeah. just keep going yeah. you've made it this far you've made it all the way across the world with these injections you've come up against so many roadblocks. you did so much to get this far just keep going and just hope that they weren't out for as long as you think they have been out (laughs) that they have been kept cold enough so that's what I did I just kept going
0: and I think if I remember back to your takeover on the Instagram page where I first connected with you I think, you know, as I'm scrolling along and with a lot of the weekend takeovers, you know, like the little dots at the top of the screen, because there's so many stories or whatever. And sometimes I just flick through them and I don't necessarily watch them all. But with your one, I was like, I, I literally listened and watched every single word you had to say, watched every single slide that you put up. And it was definitely, you know, that point of your story where you were talking about you weren't going to let MS stop you from traveling that my eyes lit up, my ears pricked up. And I was like, this is my person and I need to communicate with her immediately. And it definitely inspired me and, and motivated me to keep going because I definitely wasn't going to let a diagnosis of MS stop me either. But I was just so intrigued with this part of your story. And I just feel so upset that it was COVID like this random thing that no one saw coming that, literally just wiped this all away from you so what happens once COVID sort of takes over and you eventually do have to go back home?
1: So I go home and I beg for my job back yeah <laughs> having only left like five weeks ago Yeah, uh, come back but luckily it was the middle of a world pandemic and healthcare jobs were not hard to come by.
0: Yeah, so if you haven't listened to the previous episode that we recorded, Laura is a midwife and that's um, her job. So that's what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> so that's, yeah, I got straight back into my hospital job. It was awesome. I was very grateful that mm-hmm. I could just fall back into a job again. Um, and life went on. I was living in Ireland for a year in lockdown and it was shit. I had one relapse during that year mm-hmm. um, and that was shit as well but I continued on but I, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was wasting time. Yeah. Because um, I think as you know and as a lot of people with MS know it's a progressive disease mm-hmm. and it only ever gets worse. Yeah. Um, so at the minute I'm totally healthy and I'm completely well but It was this horrible feeling in the back of my mind constantly ticking away at me that I was wasting like my prime years. Mm -hmm. Not just my prime 20s youthful years but the years that I could still walk and I could still see and it was shit like it was it was hard.
0: And were you on a different MS treatment now after the Capaxone?
1: I was still on the Capaxone at that stage. Oh yes okay Yeah. yeah.
0: And then you had the other relapse still while on that treatment. So yeah. obviously it's not really yeah, it's not working. doing what it's yeah. supposed to.
1: But they didn't want to change it too soon because they wanted to give it more time. Yeah, um, And that's what we did. We gave it a little bit more time and then more lesions showed. And, and then they agreed to change my medication. Yeah. But as time was going on, I was getting itchy feet. I wanted mm-hmm. to travel. I wanted to get away. And I wanted to start making the most of life again. So I decided I was going to emigrate <laughs> to New Zealand. Midway through the pandemic. <laughs> With a fresh diagnosis
0: of MS. You love that.
1: New lesions and a couple of relapses.
0: And n- knowing that you needed to be on a new medication yes. as well. Like the other one was not working. Yes. Okay, so talk us through this whole process. I guess you, well, if people aren't aware of the healthcare system in New Zealand, we're also extremely desperate for midwives. So I imagine that getting a job as a midwife was fairly straightforward. Very in new easy. Zealand. And then you have to move with a chronic illness how does that even happen
1: with great difficulty yeah <laughs> so you have to like consider loads of different things when mm-hmm. you're moving firstly who's going to be your doctor yeah you can't just come over and not have a neurologist look after you yeah so I spoke to a few different people and got some advice on which doctor I should get in contact with yeah and I just emailed her <laughs> one day when I was lying in bed I was like hey doctor um I'm moving over Can I be your patient? (laughs) And luckily enough, she emailed back and was like, yeah, sure. How does March sound? (laughs) And get me an appointment. So that was awesome. I don't know if it would be as easy for somebody else, but it just kind of just was a fluke. It just fell into place. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing that you really need to consider is your medication. Yeah. So as you know, MS drugs are very expensive Mm -hmm. and... You wouldn't, you can't afford them. You can't pay for them out of your own pocket. So, insurance is the only way that I was able to do this. And because
0: in New Zealand, sorry to interrupt, but in New Zealand, if you have a visa that's like less than, is it two years, then you don't necessarily fall into the public health system here for certain things. Accidents, sure, but long, what is it, chronic illnesses that you've had for a while or pre-existing medical conditions don't necessarily fall into that care that you can get and with your visa that you were coming to New Zealand on that didn't allow you to just jump into the system did it
1: no I was only on a one-year visa Mm -hmm. um so you needed to have two consecutive years in order to fall into the public system and to get a GP yeah I couldn't get access to anything here yeah um so my insurance back home my Irish insurance is what has been funding me To be here, which is incredible. I'm so grateful for for that. But I got here and I had met my doctor and she had she had gotten the notes from my doctor back home to say that my injections were no longer working and that recommended commencing a new treatment. Mm -hmm. And she agreed. She was like, No, you definitely need to escalate treatment. It's not working. We need to get on top of this, and gave me a few suggestions of different drugs to try yeah and I was open to all Mm -hmm. um I'll take her opinion on them and then she gave me the price of them and they were not what I had taught yeah so I'd done a lot of research before I moved and I priced all of the drugs in New Zealand and my insurance could afford them but it wasn't until I got here and I realized that the pharmacy sells the drugs for one price But the drug companies sell them for another. So I was getting the drug company price. But when the pharmacy is selling it, they hike it up. Yeah. It was nearly double. Yeah. And again, another roadblock. What am I going to do?
0: Yeah. Does that limit then or does that affect the decision that you essentially make over what treatment you're going to start?
1: Yes. So different drugs are of different efficacy. Mm -hmm. So there were certain ones that I knew I did not want to go on. Because just through my research, I knew that some were better than others. Mm-hmm. And I was very strong in that opinion that I didn't want the weak ones anymore. I wanted yeah. to go for the strong ones. But the strong ones are the expensive ones. Yeah. <laughs> so the only one that I could afford was Techfedera, yeah. which was the tablets. So again, another roadblock. It's either take the tablets or go home. Yeah. So again, I decided to risk it. Yeah. I was, I was like, I'm not going to let this control me, I'm not going to let this decide my faith in like whether or not I'm gonna stay abroad or go home, I'm just gonna take the risk, and yeah. if I take this weaker drug and I relapse, I relapse.
0: Okay, and you take take Federa,
1: mm-hmm.
0: how does that work?
1: They're tablets, yeah. uh, you take them twice a day, mm-hmm. and it causes a lot of people to have some flushes, mm-hmm. um, which I did get, I did get some hot flushes, the odd time and rashes all over my body, Yeah. Um, but they would be temporary, they would only last for 30 or 40 minutes a day, um, they always came at the most inconvenient times. <laughs> yeah. Like I was in work one day and I was covered in this big red rash. I remember sending you a photo and being like, yeah. "Oh my god, I'm so red!" Um, but yeah, so you get these side effects. Yeah, which are totally manageable. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're not the worst. Like I've heard yeah. of other people having horrific side effects from the tablets. So a little flush every so often, I can deal with. Yeah, I don't mind. But time goes on, and I'm on the tablets four months. And then I relapse again. Yeah.
0: So what does this relapse look like for you?
1: This relapse was optic neuritis again. Mm -hmm. So double vision again, but 10 times worse. Okay. Um, it came on very suddenly and it infected me in a lot more ways than it did the first time. Mm -hmm. I lost a lot of muscle strength in my face and my face, my left side of my face was paralyzed. I couldn't lift my left cheek. Yep. Whenever I drank fluids, they would spill out of my mouth. It was like I had had a stroke, Mm -hmm. and it also affected my balance. It gave me really bad vertigo. I couldn't sit up straight. I had to lie down a lot, and then a lot of fatigue, and it was awful. It was a horrible time. Especially I was only in New Zealand four months, and I was going through all this without family around me, and also knowing that I've kind of done this to myself, I decided to go for the weaker medication knowing that it probably wasn't going to work mm-hmm. um and also the fact that I had relapsed meant that I knew that I needed to change drugs again yeah and but how I was had,
0: that going to work
1: I had no options yeah and when my insurance is maxed out it was either just keep taking the tablets or go home yeah <laughs> again
0: when you're relapsing are they able to offer you the steroids I'm just thinking you know not really being a part of this public system and having to pay every time you see a neurologist how does that then work to actually get care when you're relapsing which no one can predict like it's not like you knew oh, on the fifth of whatever like this is gonna yeah. happen to me
1: yeah that you can just make an appointment yeah that's where I fell through the cracks a lot especially in the system here in that I can't get a GP yeah. I'm not allowed I'm not I'm not allowed to enroll with one and I do have a doctor but there are you're a consultant they're yeah, busy yeah and back home I used to be able to just email all the MS nurses and give them my questions and they would email me back straight away but here I didn't have that system and yeah. um, so I did fall through the cracks a lot and I did felt abandoned a little bit but I managed to get a hold of one of the nurses here who has been incredible she has done so much for me yeah and she seen me privately without telling anybody that she was seeing me because she wanted to see how bad my relapse was and yeah to see did i need steroids so i kind of snuck into the hospital one day and <laughs> she she it was actually awful i was sitting in the foyer and there was loads of people walking around me and i couldn't see faces i didn't know who yeah. they were and she came up to me and she was like laura and i was like oh is that jess like yeah. I, I can't see you um, So that was that was really scary um yeah. but yes yeah, so i got a course of steroids and my eyes got better um, and okay. just took maybe two or three weeks for them to fully store. Mm-hmm. But I got better and went about my business as as I do. Life went on. But then I just it was actually when I was listening to your podcast with Anu, I had Epiphany. Yeah. So if anyone has listened to Anu's podcast, she says how she went to America to get all of her treatments for Ocravus because they weren't available in New Zealand at the time. And it inspired me that I was going to try and fight for a better treatment for me because why should I stay on these tablets? and and risk another relapse and risk more lesions so then I applied for compassionate funding and it has been approved so Yay. I am now on Tysabri which is the infusion that I'm getting here every six weeks and so far so good it's been it's been good it sounds
0: as though if people are listening to this, they might think, oh, you just applied for the compassionate funding and you got it. But it was quite a lot and a, quite a long process. A lot of letters to try and yes. get this to happen, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: it was a lot of tears and a lot of, yeah, not arguments, but kind of arguments yeah. with the doctors <laughs> being like, I want this one, no? And they said, no, but you should have this one. Like, yeah. Yeah. messy. And, and it kind long. of sucks
0: that a lot of it all just sort of comes down to money. yeah that was it at
1: the end of the day it was all money related um and something that i did not have because these (laughs) are tens of thousands of dollars worth of (laughs) medications but yeah it's worked out i'm I'm on i'm on it now and i'm hoping it's going to be my miracle drug
0: yes you are on six weekly infusions for thai yes amazing and how are you finding them how do you have any side effects is it so far i mean touch all the wood so far, it's going okay.
1: Yeah, so far, amazing. No side effects whatsoever. Mm-hmm. It's probably actually the first medication that I've been on that I haven't had any side effects because yeah. with the injections, initially they hurt. First of all, they bled. They left me with rashes. Yeah. And then the tablets, they left me with full body rashes. Yeah. Um, and now this one, nothing. I don't, it feels like I'm just getting water into my veins. Yeah. I well, mean, you just
0: got an infusion and now we're recording this podcast. Yeah. So something must be working. <laughs> You then decide that you would actually like to stay in New Zealand because the year visa that you were originally on, it's getting closer to the end of that. You apply for a new visa and as a midwife, it's like, well, they kind of need you. You're an essential worker. Is it as simple as just applying for a visa and getting it?
1: No, not <laughs> at all. So this is where all my stress has come from, which probably actually was the cause of my relapse in yeah. July. Yeah. So I applied for an essential skills visa thinking, yes, I'm a midwife. Hopefully I'll get it. Hopefully it'll be approved. And they rejected straight away. They okay. say, no, you have MS. You're. They quoted me how much I was going to cost them and how much I was going to be a burden on the New Zealand healthcare system and rejected it. Then they wanted more letters from doctors and more they wanted a second opinion and I was like, There is no second opinion. I yeah. have a mess. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. It it's here to stay. Mm-hmm. Just keep me so yeah. I can stay. Yeah. Um so eventually after lots of different um paperwork and reapplications, they approved my visa mm-hmm. but only for five months.
0: So not quite to that two year
1: three year. Three. I applied for three and I got five months.
0: But then that with your other year oh, doesn't yes. quite push you to the two years, right? Yes. Like That's how they're getting you. They're like, yeah. oh, she still can't get a GP though.
1: <laughs> yeah. They were clever in that. Yeah. They knew what they were doing. They took me, yeah, they gave me, I think, 18 months in total. Yeah, wow. And kept it short of the of the two years. I mean, I can understand. I, I know... What they're doing, and I know why they're doing it, but it just felt very unfair that they were Mm -hmm. discriminating against me because I had MS. Yeah, that I couldn't stay here.
0: And I don't know about you, but that's something that I hadn't. I mean, I think maybe deep down I kind of knew that that was a thing with immigration um in different countries around the world, but I'd never really like had it so bluntly, like said to someone that I really care about or someone that has the exact same thing that I'm living through. And it is such a shock, right, Mm. to just see that and someone just blatantly say, no, it's literally because you have MS. Yeah.
1: And then especially to quote, quote, like an invoice to me, basically, it was, it was hard to read and it was, it was hard to accept. But I mean, there was nothing I could do about it. Like I've fought and Mm. I've put in all the applications and they made their final decision. They said, no, you can stay September and that's it. Then you got to go.
0: There's then a beautiful moment where I'm just watching the TV1 news, and somebody with MS in Queenstown is saying that they've just been rejected from their visa as well and they're also an essential worker and I I've literally, my thumbs are moving so fast. I furiously type out a message to you. I can't, I feel like you weren't, you were doing something exciting and fun at Yeah, the I time. wasn't at home at yeah. the time
1: and I was like, oh my God, Tommy, what's happening, what, yeah. what is it? And so what happens after that moment? So yeah, so this girl, exactly the same thing. She's from Ireland and she's in New Zealand, has a mess, she's on the same tablets as me as well at the time. Yeah, It was like a replica story has been denied her visas so I contact her I get it I find her on Facebook and we're connecting with each other and we're just saying how shit this is yeah (laughs) that we're both being deported for something that's out of our control but yet we can we can contribute to the healthcare system we're not taking from it we're contributing we're here to help people but she yeah we connect with each other and then we're as time goes on I've spoken to a few different people. I've spoken to her. I spoke to a few reporters. I spoke to one of, a polit- one of the politicians who's on the Green Party. That they're all trying to fight to change the immigration system. That people like us can stay. Yeah. That we're not aborting. We're going to contribute to society. And we're going to pay our taxes. We're going to...
0: Yeah. <laughs> and like literally work... In the healthcare system, yeah. like you should even out, it should just balance each other out by now. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. It's just, it just felt so discriminatory. Yeah, but then this miracle thing happened. What Where happened? Immigration New Zealand decided that they were just going to open residency. <gasps> That's right. To all healthcare workers and essential workers within who have been in the country. Um, and they're going to only open it temporarily for six months. Yes. And you need to apply now. And
0: this was like a COVID thing, right? Yeah, it was like, so like everything was a bit messed up. So they were like, oh, we'll just do this. Yeah. <laughs> and then everyone can just apply.
1: Yeah. I think they were panicking because the rest of the world was opening. Yeah. And that because the rest of the world was opening, all these Kiwis were seeing this and they were thinking, I'm done with living in lockdowns and not being able to leave the country. We're going to leave. We're going to go to Australia and work over there. So that's what they were trying to combat, the labor shortage that was Mm -hmm. going to come once the was opened. Yeah. So now I'm going to, uh, well, at the time, so they announced this this new residency plan and I was super stoked about it, super excited, but it was still going to be subject to health requirements. Right. So again, another roadblock. Okay, well, I'm eligible because I'm an essential worker but I have a health condition that's not going to give me, I'm not going to get it. Like they they rejected a visa. They're not going to give me residency. Yeah. But then (laughs) all of these politicians and the social media and the MS Society of New Zealand all came together and made a case for people like me Mm -hmm. and presented it to immigration and they decided to scrap the health requirements. (gasps) And now I will be able to get residency in March. Fingers crossed when it opens. So things have worked out.
0: A fairy tale ending that took a long time to get to that point. Yes, I can only imagine that some people that might be listening to this might just be thinking, you know, that was quite a lot of work, quite a lot of effort. What was inspiring you or motivating you to keep pushing and keep trying to live in the country that's essentially saying no we don't want you like why what was the motivation to just keep trying
1: anyone with a diagnosis of ms just knows that no, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow you don't yeah. know when you're not going to be able to walk anymore and not see anymore
0: mm-hmm. so
1: you got to make the most of life now while you can yeah and I think that was my drive, I was, I was like, I'm in love with New Zealand, I'm in love with this country, yeah. and I love my lifestyle here, and I'm not letting anything stop me yeah. from staying here, yeah. and I've made so many lovely friends like you, and I don't want to leave. No, I don't want you to leave either. <laughs> and if I if I do leave, I want to be leaving on my terms, yeah. not because I've been told that I have to go, or because my MS is forcing me home, Yeah. so now I have the choice, and I want to stay. Yes. <laughs>
0: And I love that. I want you to stay as well. So yay immigration for finally (laughs) pulling through. You live quite an active life. You are always on these amazing hikes and camping trips. And I'm always just so excited for all of the beautiful parts of New Zealand that you get to see. What would be your symptoms, I guess, your everyday little reminders that you have MS, if there are
1: any? I am actually so grateful and so fortunate that I don't get any symptoms at all, which is amazing. Yeah. The only thing that reminds me I have MS is when I have to, like, schedule my duty around I need to be in the hospital in six weeks' time. Yeah. Or I need to, my alarm's going off, I need to take my tablets. But other than that, no, no symptoms at all until I relapse. Yeah. And then shit hits the fan. Yeah. But, (laughs) no, I'm very fortunate and very grateful. And I acknowledge that every day and I'm very thankful for that every day. Yeah but also very aware that that might not be the case Mm -hmm. forever, that I might eventually start getting symptoms that affect me on a daily basis. But thankfully for now, it doesn't. Yes.
0: A question that I ask nearly everybody that comes onto this podcast is, what is your definition of MS, multiple sclerosis? How would you describe this condition to somebody who's never heard anything
1: about it before i tried to not use big words <laughs> like demyelination <laughs> yeah. i hate that word <laughs> um i would say it's an autoimmune condition mm-hmm. so it's where your immune system attacks the nerves or the coating of the nerves in your brain and your spinal cord for no reason literally yeah. no reason and then those attacks of inflammation cause scars and lesions and then when those scars are left there, over time, it interferes with the way that the brain communicates with your limbs and your the yeah. rest of your body. Yeah. And causes symptoms and causes disability mm-hmm. because, of, because of those scars.
0: Yeah. Beautiful answer. Thank you. <laughs> I do agree. That's definitely <laughs> my definition as well. Your whole journey and story from being diagnosed, traveling, deciding to move to another country working full-time as well as having MS, also having all this immigration nightmare and the insurance and the cost of medication. It's quite the extraordinary story. And I'm wondering, when you look back, is there anything that's changed for you, perhaps mentally or even physically, even anything that's changed from the Laura that had started her job as a midwife, I suppose, no MS insight to the Laura that sits at my dining room
1: table right now.
0: Would would you? Would there be any significant change? Do you think?
1: I think the only change would probably be my gratitude. Mm-hmm. I have a lot more gratitude now for even the littlest of things. Yeah. Even what we were talking about earlier today, like it is the little things in life, and just forever appreciative. Of being able to do the things that I'm able to do. Yeah. And also very fortunate that everything has worked out this far. And it's like saying like, yes, I've been very lucky that everything worked with my visas and it worked with my infusions and the compassionate funding and like very lucky. But that being said, that mightn't happen to somebody else who is trying to do the exact same thing if they were to come And try and move to New Zealand that, I mean, if they had to apply for compassion funding, it mightn't be funded or they mightn't get the same doctor who fights your corner just Mm -hmm. as well. So I'm very lucky that it has all worked out and that I feel like is like by fluke as well. So yeah, forever grateful, like very, very thankful for everything that has come my way so far and i hope it continues
0: (laughs) and i am so grateful that i've been able to connect with you and meet you and become your friend and also share your story with everybody listening today so thank you so
1: so so much oh thank you so much for having me here as well i've i've really enjoyed this and i really enjoyed our little Valentine's day should we go and get some pizza yes Yes. Uh, i even know what i'm gonna order already (laughs) I
0: said it at the beginning and I will say it again. Laura has been such an incredible friend to me and I'm so honoured that she chose me and all of the That's So Chronic community to share her story with today. If you want to see some more behind the scenes content of the podcast, including what mine and Laura's day looked like when we recorded this, head to at That's So Chronic on Instagram or TikTok. You can also sign up to the monthly newsletter or just get in touch, all of the information will be in the show notes. If you're new around here, make sure you've hit that follow button. That really helps That's So Chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and more importantly, hope. I'll see you next Tuesday.